Easter Sunday. Uh, it's wonderful to sing those uh, songs together and uh, celebrate our risen King today. So thanks for making this investment of time to be here. I, if I have not met you already, uh, my name is Sam Huggard, and it's uh, my privilege to serve as a pastor of Be Free Dover, and uh, so welcome. Um, I mentioned earlier here, this is uh, Easter Sunday. We actually are entering into a season of Easter from now until Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we have a whole season to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So There's a high point in the Christian calendar, and it uh, really does fill us with hope uh, at this message that Christ has not only died for our sins and his cross, but has risen uh, for our life. So I want to consider this morning the implications of Christ's resurrection for us. And uh, we're going to do that by looking at uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. And this is a story that takes place, an account that's uh, earlier on in Jesus' ministry. So prior to his resurrection, we see his power to raise others from the dead. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to this passage. It'll also be on the screen behind me. I'm going to invite you all to stand with me. I'm going to read this passage, and then I will say the word of the Lord, and you'll all get to respond, thanks be to God. Okay? Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. The word of the Lord. Have a seat. So join me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful to gather here this morning. Uh, what a privilege uh, to proclaim this amazing truth that death has been defeated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so God, I pray that uh, these words, this proclamation today, uh, would be more than a nice sentiment to us. Uh, but God, I pray that you would give us uh, ears to truly hear this word and hearts to receive it. Because Lord, this has changed the lives of people for thousands of years. So God, I pray today that you'd be changing our lives uh, through the power of your death and your resurrection. So Lord, please uh, break uh, this message anew and afresh upon us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin uh, by showing you a picture this morning. All right, take a look at that picture. And uh, if you were to walk outside the door today, and this was the scene you were to witness in the parking lot, particularly if it was your vehicle, you might think, what happened? You wouldn't look at it and think, oh, that's normal. You know, a car turned upside down, an everyday occurrence. You'd think, something's wrong. Something has happened. Maybe it was an accident, maybe it was a prank, but, but something has gone awry if you saw this situation. All right, th thanks for showing the picture. Well, what I want us to consider this morning is that when we look at death, we all inherently know that something's upside down. Something's wrong. Something has gone awry. It's not the way that things should be. I mean, when we face the death of a loved one or, or hear a news report, even about someone we don't know, maybe someone famous, there's in, is instinctively a response of sadness, of surprise, of shock. 
I mean, despite the fact that death comes for us all, we just can't get used to it. That, that death inherently to us seems upside down, seems wrong. And this morning, I want to consider why. I want us to consider from this account of Jesus raising a young man from the dead, uh, why we all instinctively feel that death is upside down. And I want us to consider how Jesus has come to put it right side up. Uh, in this story that I read earlier, uh, we see that Jesus uh, and his disciples were coming to the village of Nain, a little small town, a village. Uh, it was about eight miles southeast of the town of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, so close to his hometown area. And as Jesus comes to this village, it says that there is a crowd coming with him. And it seems from the surrounding context that Jesus is traveling to the village of Nain from the town of Capernaum, about 30 miles away. And what had happened in Capernaum caused a great crowd of people to want to journey with him to see what else might happen. Because back in Capernaum, uh, there had been a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion, uh, who was a God-fearing man. And he had a servant who he dearly loved, and this servant was on the point of death. And he had heard of a man who could heal. And so he came to Jesus and said, would you please heal my servant? And I don't even need you to come and see the guy. Just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus said, this faith I have not seen elsewhere in Israel. And Jesus said a word, and the man was healed from a distance. And the people of Capernaum said, oh my word, if this guy could heal someone on the verge of death from a distance, what else can he do? And a crowd comes with Jesus from Capernaum to the village of Nain. So this crowd is excited. They're anticipating what else he will do. They're joyful. And as they come to Nain, they meet another crowd coming out of the village. And there's a meeting at the gate, a joyful crowd coming in and a sorrowful crowd coming out. And the contrast is stark between these two groups. The crowd coming out of the village of Nain was a funeral procession. And they're carrying the body of a dead young man. And this young man, it says, was the only son of his mother who was a widow. Nothing is more upside down than a parent burying their child. I've had to conduct funerals for children. Nothing is more gut-wrenching. So for just, for just for a minute here, I want you to put yourself in this mother's shoes as she walks out of the village, surrounded by her grieving friends and neighbors. Now, she's walked this journey before. This journey's not new for her. She's had to walk this journey hearing the, the funeral songs, uh, receiving the awkward condolences, uh, the deep sense of loss. She's felt this all before as she buried her husband. Now, in that day, life expectancy for men was around 30 years of age. So it wasn't uncommon for a woman to become a widow fairly early on. Uh, but was not, it was not common for the woman to so soon also lose her only son, a young son, the son who was most likely her pride and joy, her sense of comfort. And as he grew up, he would be her sense of security too, especially in that day and age. And now she has lost him as well. But there, in the valley of the shadow of death, she runs into Jesus. And Jesus has a habit of meeting people in those kind of places. And when Jesus saw her, it says he had compassion on her. Uh, the New International Version translates that phrase as his heart went out to her. Jesus saw her and, and he was drawn toward her in her grief, in her sorrow, in her sadness. Unlike so many of us, 
Jesus is not awkward around sadness. He doesn't run from difficulty. He doesn't run from death. He doesn't avert his eyes and attempt to avoid engaging with someone who's suffering. He is drawn toward the woman in her grief. His heart is filled with compassion for her. Friends, this is Jesus' heart toward us as well. He does not avoid the pain and sorrow of our lives, but his heart is drawn to us in our pain and in our sorrow, and he still meets people in their darkest places, and he can transform those darkest places. Because Jesus' heart is filled with compassion for this woman, uh, and he goes to her in her sorrow, he wants to speak. And the words he says to her are, um, at first, almost surprising. He says, do not weep. Don't weep. Now, um, standing in a, re- a funeral uh, receiving line can be a very awkward place to be. You know, what do you say to someone who has experienced great loss? Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really tough situation. You can't fix the problem. But Jesus can. So his words to her are, are not simply wishful words. Uh, they're a promise. He's telling her what's going to happen. Do not weep. Because right after that, he walks over to the coffin and to the people holding it, and Jesus stops them and then speaks to the dead young man. He says, young man, get up. And then the dead young man sat up and began to talk. And what he said, we don't know. It doesn't say in the scriptures. I mean, I don't know if he asked a question, like, what are you all doing here? Uh, What am I doing here? Maybe he starts making a statement about what he experienced. I don't know what it is. Or maybe he just was a talker. I don't know. But he immediately begins talking. And then it says, Jesus then gave the young man back to his mother. Can you imagine her joy? Can you imagine being there that day, uh, seeing a scene of utter despair suddenly turn into great rejoicing? A funeral reception turned into a party. Well, the, the big idea I want us to consider today is simply this, that Jesus is turning death right side up. Jesus is turning death right side up. What is, what is instinctively upside down for us, Jesus can change. Jesus is turning death right side up. Now, there's a great scene in uh, J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings in the, the last book or movie, The Return of the King. And I realize I'm quoting this movie two weeks in a row. All right. Uh, I promise I'll give it a break after this week, but this quote was too good to leave on the table. Um, in this final uh, book here, um, the hobbits think they have lost their friend and guide, Gandalf. Um, they believe him to be dead, but he returns to them. And when he returns, uh, the hobbit Sam says this. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. And then he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And I think that's the sentiment that the people in the village of Nain were saying that day. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Like, what's happened to the world that a dead young man being carried to the grave could suddenly be brought back to life? What's happened to the world? You know, um, as the people asked that, I'm sure their minds were rushing toward prophecies in the Old Testament. Because these people in that day would have been very, very steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And the Old Testament scriptures told about the coming of a king who would restore all things. 
Uh, Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophecy said, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The excitement in the village of Nain that day wasn't only for the resurrection of this one young man. They're all wondering, is this the beginning of a completely new day? Has the king arrived who will turn death right side up? I'm sure that day they were filled with excitement and anticipation of what Jesus would do if he was the king come to turn death right side up. But I'm sure days, weeks, months later, they probably started asking another question. Probably the next time someone died in that town and they carried that person out of the gate. And that question probably was, if Jesus is that king come to deliver, come to restore, come to turn death on its head, then why are people still dying? Why doesn't he just raise everyone if he has the power to do it? And and I think we ask that same kind of question today. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, why does death still happen? Now, this story by itself can't answer that question. Matter of fact, if this is the only story we have in the Bible about resurrection, then it's almost like a, a cruel joke. It tells us what Jesus can do, but doesn't do for everyone. But the answer to that question is not found in this story. Uh, This story, it's a sign. It's pointing us toward an answer. It's not itself the answer. This story about the death and resurrection of a much-loved only son points us to the death and resurrection of another much-loved only son. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the true much-loved only Son, who, like this man, experienced death, but Jesus' death was quite different. What I also want us to consider today is that Jesus is turning death right side up by dealing with its cause in His own death. You see, when God made the world, when God created everything, everything was right side up. There was no death, there was no sickness, there was no sadness, there was no relational discord. Life was as it should be. That's why we have the innate sense that death is upside down, because somewhere deep down in our souls, we know what we were made for. We know the kind of life that God created us for. But the scriptures tell us that death entered the story because sin entered the story. Now, now, sin is a word that we use to describe our disconnection from God. That the first human beings, instead of trusting God and living according to what God says is right and good, 
um, they distrusted God and attempted to live according to their own sense of what was right and good. And every human has done the exact same thing ever since. That's what we all do. There is not full trust in God, and there is an attempt to live apart from Him. You know, think about a, uh, an electric light. There's a light up here sitting on this table instead of the plant. It would need to be plugged into the power source for the light to work. And God is the source of all life. And disconnected from God, life does not work as it should. God is the one who gives us life. We need to be connected to Him to experience the life for which we were made, but we've all become disconnected. Now, I know it's Easter, and I'm supposed to talk about you know, happy, positive things, keep the mood light, flowers popping, bunnies hopping around, sun rises, all that, that kind of good stuff. Not death, and certainly not sin. But if you'll hang with me here, I think you'll find that our joy is even greater when we face our greatest enemies and realize that even they have been overcome. Jesus has come to overturn our greatest enemies. That on the cross, Jesus dealt with the cause of our death, all of our deaths, which is sin. Jesus took sin upon himself, that death would be no more. And when we see Jesus, the much-loved only Son of God, dying for us in our place, what happens is there's a change that can happen to the human heart where we begin to trust a God that we previously distrusted. That if God was willing to do this for us, to die in our place for our sin, even when we were not trusting Him, then maybe He is trustworthy. And as our hearts begin to trust Him, we become reconnected to Him. Jesus' death addresses the cause of death, our sin. But we're here on Easter Sunday because Jesus did not stay on the cross. Jesus was put in a tomb and did not stay there either. That the grave is empty. That Jesus' death by itself, as wonderful as it is, would actually be empty if he also didn't rise. The scriptures tell us if Christ has not been raised, our faith is useless. What I want to consider for the remainder of our time is that Jesus is turning death right side up by conquering death in his resurrection. Jesus is turning death right side up. He's dealt with the cause of it, and now he is conquering death in his resurrection. Now, Jesus' resurrection was very different than the resurrection of the young man from the village of Nain. Very different than his. Um, consider with me Romans chapter 6, verse 9, talking about Jesus' resurrection. It says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The young man from the village of Nain, he rose uh, only to die again at some point later. Maybe it was just a couple years later. Maybe it was decades down the road. I don't know. It was a temporary resurrection. Death still had dominion over him. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, man, this guy had two funerals. I mean, it would have been kind of weird if you were one of the people to eulogize him at both the first and the second. The sense of, I've been here before. I've already done this. What do I say again? Um, What a weird and unique experience to have two funerals. You know, growing up, um, I grew up uh, near here and actually at uh, uh, what is now Be Free Church in Barrington. I was part of uh, that church and I was part of a, uh, uh, a discipleship program for young men. And that's a great program called Boys Brigade. 
And in that program, we, got, we get to play a lot of games together. And our all-time favorite game was a dodgeball game we called Resurrection, all right? And it was an individual dodgeball game, every man for himself. And so the goal was to get one of the dodgeballs, and you couldn't run with it. You had to stay, you had to stay like on a pivot like in basketball. And from that place, you had to peg another guy who was also up. And when you hit him, he had to sit down. Now, once you were down, you could be resurrected if a ball rolled your way while you're sitting down. You would grab the dodgeball and aim to hit the guy, somebody who was still standing. And if you hit them, you could stand back up. So the game would go on and on because you would get hit, sit down, get a ball, hit someone, and get back up. Now, there was nothing better in this game than to be kind of hiding behind somebody who was on the ground. A ball would come to them, they'd hit somebody, stand up, and then wham, you'd nail them in the back and they'd have to sit right back down. It, it was just so much fun. This may be a poor illustration, but if you'll hang with me. When it says that Jesus has dominion over death, it means it's one resurrection. He did not die, and then rise, and then have to die again. He rose never to die again. What this means is that his resurrection has a power and an implication for us that this young man from the village of Nain's resurrection did not. It was a wonderful thing that happened to him. But ultimately, in some ways, on its own, useless. Jesus' resurrection was completely different, which is why the scriptures talk differently about his resurrection. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, Jesus says this to the apostle John. Jesus, in his resurrected state, speaking to the apostle John from heaven, he says to him, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. See the change of the, the game there? It wasn't just, I died, but rose. It's, and I now have the keys. The game has changed. Things have shifted in the universe because of Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus didn't just escape the grave and cheat death. He trampled the grave and wrestled back the keys from the prison of death. Jesus, uh, the scriptures speak of Jesus as the conquering king, the victor, the Lord of life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, talks about the implications uh, for us in Jesus' resurrection. It really, it's answering the question that if Jesus conquered death in his resurrection, um, then how do we view death now? Because people still die. We all still die. So how does Jesus' resurrection change the game for us? The Apostle Paul writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now listen, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
two ways in which Jesus has conquered death and how it affects us. First, Jesus has transformed death for all who believe in him. And there's two images in this passage that we must understand if we're to understand how death is different for us because of Jesus' resurrection. Those two images are sleep and seed. Sleep and seed. The Apostle Paul said uh, that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That Paul always spoke this way of those who had died in Christ. He referred to them as asleep. Now, when a loved one in your home is napping or hasn't gotten up yet, because when they're in their sleeping state, you're not having active relationship with them. You're not talking with them, I guess unless they're talking in their sleep, but if you're in the other room and they're sleeping, usually you leave them alone. So there's not active connection going on. But you're also not separated from them. They're just in the other room, asleep. And that's Paul's picture for us now, connected to those who have died in Christ. That, yes, there's not active communication and connection, but we are not separated in a way that we were prior to the resurrection. That they're in a, another room, so to speak, asleep. That's why uh, one of my uh, great, um, I guess I would say heroes, a pastor named uh, Daryl Johnson, he, he is very adamant that Christians should not talk about one another passing away. We pass through. We don't pass away. We pass through death. That death is a veil that we pass through into another room. And there will be a future reunion. This is a game changer that Jesus has accomplished. That, that in Christ, we are not ever, ever um, fully separated. We are just, uh, for a time, not in active communication. Because of Jesus and his resurrection, we pass through death as he did. Now, the second image there was the image of the seed. It said that Jesus is the first fruits. He's like the first of the harvest. It's springtime now. We're beginning to see some things popping up. Jesus is like the first blade of green grass. And you know that when the first blade pops up, there's going to be a, a whole lawn that follows. And Jesus is the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. He's not the first human being in history to rise from the dead. The, the man from the village of Nain was one of the people who had risen from the dead prior. He died again. Jesus is the first to, die, to rise and never die again. And all who are in Christ have exactly that same destiny. And, and so... Uh, Jesus is a seed, and we connected to him are going to be part of that resurrection. I, I love this quote from the poet uh, George Herbert. He described Christian burial this way. He says, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. You never bury a Christian, you only plant them. That there is a future for those in Christ because of our connection to him. Which is why in the old, a couple centuries ago, it was very common for Christians to put on their tombstone a Latin word, resurgum, which means, I will rise. They died in the hope that I will rise. Jesus' resurrection has transformed our death. We will die. Unless Christ returns before then, we will all die. But death is no longer us passing away. It is us passing through. The second thing we need to understand from this text is not only does Jesus transform death for us now, but he will destroy death completely when he returns. Uh, this passage spoke about a future 
about Jesus returning and the last enemy that would be destroyed is death itself. Now the Christian hope is not just that death will end at some point, that at some point there'll be no more funerals. Um, That would be great, Uh, but by itself, it's not a full uh, restoration of what we long for because it still leaves us with the pain and the grief of past losses. The Christian hope is more than just at some point, no more funerals. The Christian hope is not the ending of death, but the undoing of death. Not the ending of death, but the undoing of death. The restoration and recreation of all things. And this is a mystery. Uh, In Revelation 21, verses one through six, at the end of the Bible, uh, listen to these words of hope about what will come. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And that, let me pause here, that when he says the sea was no more, the sea was frequently uh, um, a, a metaphorical way of talking about evil and chaos and death. That's what would happen on the, on the sea. Think of all the stories in the scriptures of storms at the sea. And he's saying that in this, in this new, new time, evil, death, and chaos would be no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He didn't say, I'm making all new things. I'm making all things new. All that was broken, all that was grieved, all the suffering we've experienced, he is somehow restoring and recreating that God is making all things new. This is why C.S. Lewis talked about how this future vision can transform our present uh, sufferings. He said, some mortals say of some temporal suffering that no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And what an amazing picture that the future is so good that even our present sorrow is somehow transformed by what will be when Jesus returns and death itself will be not just ended, but undone. Our hopes today, what we gather today to celebrate, uh, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And his death has has now uh, transformed death for those who trust in him. And this means that we will be reunited in a renewed earth with all in Christ. And this hope absolutely changes how we go through life now. I want to close with a quote from a a liturgy uh, from the book Every Moment Holy, Volume 2. It's in the last liturgy of this book, and it's called A Liturgy of Praise for Christ Who Conquered Death. It's a long liturgy, so I'm just going to read one paragraph, all right? Listen to these words of hope. It says, The grip of death already slips. It cannot slow the steady progress of the resurrection. Now advancing, one day to be made visible in the full outworking of its infinite glad implications. 
The door that led to death has been remade by Christ into the door that opens into everlasting life. Will you stand with me? Let's pray and then close with a song together. Lord Jesus, we do today gladly proclaim uh, that you have risen. Uh, You are Lord. Uh, You hold the keys of death and the grave. And uh, we are so thankful that you're the one who holds the keys. Uh, You who has been willing to give your own life for us. If you've been willing to do that, uh, how will you not also give us all things? So God, I pray today that you would fill us with the hope of the resurrection. God, I pray that as we go through life this week, Uh, Lord, I am sure there are sufferings and there are loss and things that we are grieving now. God, would you help us to see these things through the lens of the resurrection? God, we are so thankful uh, that we have this great hope and promise that you who has risen will return. And Lord, when you return, the former things will pass away. And God, I pray, I pray that you would fill us with a confident hope, uh, not only to be able to endure uh, the sufferings that we go through, But Lord, as we do so, to be able to point to the one who is victorious. God, we know this is the message our world so desperately needs, that all that has lost can be restored in Jesus Christ. So God, would you come? Uh, We we long for your coming again, but even before then, by your spirit, would you renew us and restore us as we anticipate uh, your return in the future? We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.